Welcome to the JCCP podcast. My name is Jerry Bauman, and I'm the editor of the Journal of the American College of Clinical Pharmacy. Today, we're talking with Dr. Thomas Dowling. Together with co-authors Dr. Aaron Thomas and John Gums, they published an interesting study in JCCP entitled Survey of Direct Patient Care and Payment Models Among Pharmacy Practice Faculty. This piece is published in the May 2022 issue of JACCP. Dr. Dowling is Assistant Dean for Research and Professor at Ferris State University College of Pharmacy. He is also the Director of the Office of Research and Sponsored Programs. Tom, thanks for joining us today and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jerry. I uh, appreciate the invitation to join. It's really good to be with you today. So I was personally uh, quite interested in your study, and I'm glad you sent it to JACCP because uh, probably, as you know, I was a former department head and dean. And at Illinois, we did bill for some clinical services through a variety of agreements with the College of Medicine, but we didn't have a formal practice plan. So could you provide some background and rationale uh, for your study? Yeah, sure, Jerry. The idea for this study really started sort of like uh, your story there back my time as the head of the practice department here at Fair State. And at that time, I was I was part of a ACCP department chair's listserv that uh, I think it was Dan Astro at the time had, had put together. Uh, and then uh, at that time, I connected with John Gums at the University of Florida. And at that time, uh, John was charged with addressing that issue of kind of flipping the model of pharmacy practice, where colleges were giving away pharmacy services for free, really across all practice sites. Uh, and we were having that same issue. And, and um, at that time, I started working with, with Hamey Cho over at Michigan. Uh, she was working with the Blue Cross MPTCQ model and working with embedding pharmacists in, in primary care practices across Michigan. And so we connected, and then I, I connected with Gloria Sajdev uh, in Indiana, who was looking at helping us look at our ambulatory care practice sites here at, across Michigan. And we found a number of sites where our, our practice faculty were in sites that were doing billable activities. And so she helped provide us with a number of templates that they were using at Purdue and, and other sites where they were essentially flat rate service agreements. Uh, that we could use as a starting point, primarily within health systems and, and with their C-suites. So maybe you could just quickly review some of the various forms of payment. We looked at different models across, uh, you know, healthcare and in terms of, of the different methods, Jerry, that talking with John Gums, who really kind of is the expert in this area of, of, of billing uh, and things that since pharmacists really you know, still aren't recognized as bill providers uh, by CMS. Uh, for those Medicare patients who are established and, and those with the E&M visits, the billing still is really done by that billing provider in most cases, which is either in the physician's office or in some cases, uh, you know, the NPs. Um, but in our survey, in our work, we found the most common model was, was the MOU or that flat, you know, flat fee-based service contract that was established with the medical provider, the group. And typically there, you know, it was either family medicine or internal medicine. They then cover a percentage of time uh, for the, the clinical faculty member. 
And in return, then that faculty member provides an extension or extender to that medical medical group or that medical partner through their clinical activities by then allowing them to see more patients and, and then spend less time with the patients that are kind of on the chronic med management type patients and anticoag, hypertension, uh, et cetera. We have seen some models where they do build directly like kind of like the MTM model, uh, but those tend to be the you know small number of cases and and at Florida, you know, John's group, uh, you know, is getting ready to kick off a model there in clinical pharmacogenomics consults, uh, where they'll be doing more of that direct billing type of process. And Jerry, that might be a, a topic for maybe another podcast. Sure, uh, I'm game if you are. Um, well, maybe back to the to your study then. Uh, for the listeners, maybe you could just briefly describe uh, your methods and what did you find. Sure, Jerry. This uh, this was really an exploratory survey that we set up. It was a, a 25 item questionnaire that we developed in discussions, you know, with uh, with John Gums and Aaron Thomas there at Florida, and we had identified a list of, of practice department chairs via the AACP member database, and we really wanted to get a sense of whether you know, practice faculty across the country were engaged in in direct patient care focusing those, you know, on ambulatory care and, and what kind of billing practices and what kind of revenue was coming into the colleges. It seemed like a good time to, to get a snapshot of what was going on. We went ahead and sent out this questionnaire to department chairs via email, and we collected results over about a six-month period or so. And, you know, taking a look at those results, we found that you know, some of the colleges and, and schools had some revenue contracts, but maybe not as, as widely adopted as, as we kind of expected. So that was interesting. We felt this was a good way to at least start a dialogue kind of among the profession, you know, within the practice segments that might help uh, some things going forward to, to talk things through. You know, one thing that I thought was interesting is that in your study, as you sort of referred to, you did find a lower frequency of actual practice plan implementation than you expected. What, what do you think some of the barriers are to explain this? Something that we, we thought about as well, Jerry, um, we had about 43 institutions respond to the survey. Some, some had incomplete responses, but those that did respond represented about 1,200 or so practice faculty across the the country. Uh, one of the things that first came to mind uh, was that maybe some chairs, you know, might not have wanted to either share that information, or maybe maybe they didn't have any clinical revenue. And once they got into the survey, maybe just didn't uh, didn't want to reveal that information. That's totally reasonable. It really this was was to start the dialogue in this area. This was also a pretty in depth survey. I would say it uh, took some time uh, to complete. We we did analysis. It took about 17 minutes on average for those that did complete it. And, and I actually got a, got an email from from one of the chairs that she said, uh, wow, Tom, you know, this survey was a bear to complete. So that could have been part of it as well. <laughs> um, another, another major barrier that we thought might have been at play here was the really the heavy lift of that flipping the model. Uh, that it takes, you know, from giving away services for free to, you know, now asking for payment or reimbursement for some of that time. You know, this this really takes 
you know, a strong champion, you know, some a guiding coalition at the college or at the practice level and the ability to work with C-suites and practice sites on contracts and, and not necessarily working with the pharmacy departments um, per se that we've worked with in the past. So those could have been some of the, could have been some of the barriers to, to moving these types of practice plans forward as well. So you also, in your paper, helpfully suggest a number of conditions that could aid practice faculty in developing a successful practice plan. Could you review those for, uh, for us, Tom? This, I think, relates back to those challenges, Jerry, of, of that flipping the model from kind of the curbside consult so, or the luxury of having a clinical pharmacist around to now more of a provider level and direct patient care in, you know, in that value-based care system. Another important factor here is the need to work directly with that C-suite of the medical leadership. Often that's the, either the medical director or the clinic director, and it's a little different model than working with pharmacy operations you know, departments that we have in the past. This model is also going to need a, a really strong physician champion you know, who's that advocate for embedding that PharmD in that primary care site or, or whatever health system that's a critical team member you know, in that value-based model. On the college side, you know, you're going to need to have faculty that are dedicated to that direct patient care time. You know, those are the folks that are going to have you know, ex- you know, expertise in you know, some of the knowledge of billing and those value-based care scoring systems and things like that from Medicare. Uh, the ability to, to work under collaborative practice agreements, those need to be in place. And so those folks are going to need to be able to manage you know, that workload you know, in addition to the rest of their academic appointment. So that's a, a condition that is going to need to be in place in, in, a, in a subset of faculty members, if not all, you know, within that primary care uh, group of faculty. So those are some of the conditions I think that, that might uh, need to be in place. Of course, um, what would greatly aid this problem would be the universal ability of clinical pharmacists to bill third parties for their clinical services beyond Medicare Part D. Any hope on the horizon there? Yeah, if I, if I had my uh, crystal ball here, be able to, to take a look at that going forward. And, and I had talked to John Gums about this, who really is the expert in the, in the area of billing. And, and some of his comments along the way kind of related to, you know, there's always hope. That was a message that he's, he's put forward consistently. And you know, with the the switch toward these value-based you know payment models and, and an increased emphasis on things like disease prevention and wellness, it really starts to build a, a more compelling case to engage that that clinical pharmacist as a recognized billing provider. Some of the things too that we've learned from from the pandemic, you know, showed that pharmacists things that they can do and are doing in the area of disease prevention and and CMM starting to point out the increasing awareness of things like lack of access for patients you know, to those primary care practitioners. So pharmacists are really in a good position to take that next step. And if that's supported you know, at the national level and state level, certainly would help address these, these challenges that we face and addressing issues as well, like health equity and, 
and social determinants of health and puts us, you know, pharmacists again in a really good position to, to be a, a public health practitioner. Yeah, I agree that I had a, a lot of hope or I have a lot of hope that um, this movement towards um, value-based reimbursement as opposed to fee-for-service does provide some opportunities for us. So my, my understanding is that your study and your survey has received some attention from uh, the American Association of Colleges of Pharmacy, or AACP. Can you tell us about any plans to extend this uh, work at the national level going forward? Yes, that's that's right, uh, Jerry. And, and uh, is my understanding this year the AACP has, through their strategic engagement committee, uh, that now has a, a charge to extend this pilot survey to kind of a practice survey version 2.0 uh, that uh, is going to be sent to colleges and schools of pharmacy, I believe, later this summer in the fall. Um, this will be kind of the first phase going forward of that extension. And in talking to, to John Gums, who's who's part of that engagement committee, it sounds like there's a kind of a smaller validation study that's going to start out with maybe six or so colleges rolling out over the, the next few weeks here to look at that new survey. And then that group, you know, with, with John and, and George McKinnon, I think are going to talk through some of that at the AACP annual meeting in July, some of the design around that in the background. And then I believe AACP is planning for that survey to go ahead and be repeated probably every couple of years or so out to the colleges of pharmacy, probably as, as like an aggregate type of, of data collection, you know, kind of non-identified you know, data coming in to assess colleges and schools of pharmacy and, and how they're kind of helping to increase, you know, activity in this area and how AACP can even help with some of this in terms of of reimbursing for clinical services. So it probably will have you know, some role going forward in the surveys that AACP sends out. Well, that's great. We'll look forward to that and uh, good luck with it. I do uh, want to thank you, Tom, in ending for sending your work to JACCP. I also think this issue of reimbursement for clinical services is probably, if it's not the biggest issue confronting us, it's one of them. So thanks for sending a paper that has some insight into what people are doing in that regard. Thanks again, Tom. Sure thing. Sure thing. Great being with you, Jerry.